so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to this week's episode of the ERLC Podcast, where each week we're talking about our work at the ERLC and the things Christians need to know about what's going on in the world. I'm Josh Wester, and with me in the studio today is Managing Editor, Lindsay Nicolay. Hello, everyone. And normally we'd be looking for a howdy from Brent, but Brent is actually somewhere across the pond working on a major pro-life initiative. And so we miss Brent this week. We're excited to have him back next week. But sitting in for Brent today is Chelsea Sobelik. Chelsea, say hi. Hey, how are you? That was a very sweet hello. So Chelsea's a policy director in our office on Capitol Hill. And we were originally going to have her on as our guest today. But once we found out that Brent was not going to be able to join us, we decided to ask Chelsea just to hang out with us for the whole episode. And so she's going to be offering her thoughts and commentary as we run through all the stuff we're going to talk about today. And And we're excited. That's right. So Chelsea, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're going to learn more about Chelsea in a second as we uh, continue on. But Lindsay, why don't you go ahead and talk to us about the ERLC content this week? Absolutely. So Josh will be happy to know that we're starting out with an article by you. How kind. Isn't that exciting? So Josh took a look at a recent study of families in California and showed that the progressive state often lives a conservative life when it comes to their households. So his article takes a look at why families are critical for human flourishing and why we should be encouraged by the data and the results of this study. So I would encourage you to check that out. I know you have a lot to say about that, Josh, but, you know, in the interest of time, we'll just move on. We'll just move on. (laughs) Uh, It's a great article. Josh is a good writer. We also have an article up about the tragic news about Kobe Bryant and the eight other people, including his daughter, that were killed in the helicopter crash. Children, moms, dads, loved ones, lost in this event. Jeremy Lineman, he's a pastor, he writes specifically about Bryant and why we grieve his loss, about his legacy, his complicated legacy. Um, But most of all, it's a reminder of the importance of knowing the one who conquered death and the one who offers the hope of eternal life to those of us who trust in him. So I would encourage you to read that. It's a great article. And then I wanted to highlight a video. We haven't highlighted a video on our on this segment before. So we have a short video clip of Lifeway President Ben Mandrell talking about how we can utilize creativity and technology to disciple Christians. This video reminds me of an article that we did. It was actually an interview that I did with the founder of the Bible app. This is a real-life example of utilizing technology and creativity to reach people with Scripture, with the Word, and to disciple Christians. So this was in one of our editions of Light Magazine. You can go on erlc.com backslash light, and you can check that out. It's our technology issue, but it's an incredible testimony of how God will use our creativity, our creative resources to reach people with his word. That's one of the things that I'm most excited about that the ERLC is doing is focusing on technology because, you know, a lot of times when we think about the church, we tend to think that the church lags behind the culture instead of trying to keep pace with the culture and trying to address the things that people are paying attention to. And so both uh, in that interview you did uh, with Bobby about the Bible app, which I would 
recommend to people to check out. So moving on into our culture section for the week, uh, the first thing we want to talk about is just the March for Life that took place last Friday. Uh, our ELC team was there on the ground, and Chelsea, you were in the midst of all of that. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, the ERLC's involvement in the march? Absolutely. So the night before, the ERLC actually hosted an event at the Museum of the Bible an Evangelicals uh, for Life conference and had some great conversations on um, some areas the pro-life is excelling at and some areas uh, that we can upgrade as well. Um, so that was uh, wonderful conversations. And then the next morning at the March for Life, um, our DC team was there. And then we had some uh, friends who had attended the event uh, the night before come and march with us. And so we were at the rally and heard multiple um speakers and uh, David Platt uh, came to in the the March rally and prayer. And I was personally touched. He shared that they are about to adopt another child. So I was very encouraged by oh, that. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So it was really neat. He shared that he had attended the March last year and the Lord just started stirring um, their hearts that they were supposed to adopt another, another child. So I think I think that little one is coming home within the next within the next few weeks pretty soon. So we attended the march and then we marched. The rally takes place on the lawn of the National Mall and then the march goes from the mall um, up to the Supreme Court. So it's about a mile and it is just the most um, uplifting thing. There's people um, playing music and dancing and chanting. And um, it's a very positive march. Um, you know, the tone is not angry. It's just a very positive march. And so encouraging to see thousands and thousands of people rallying and marching together for the cause of life. Chelsea, I'm glad you brought up the tone of the march. So several of us have been there. We weren't there this year. But that's so true that it's not angry, that it's positive, that it's peaceful, that it's joyful. And it is encouraging to be around hundreds of thousands of people marching for life. Also, we wanted you to point out and I'm just going to say, you're, it's not a humble brag, but you wrote an article about the theme of the march, pro-life is pro-woman, and it got retweeted. So why don't you tell us about that? Absolutely. So yes, I wrote about the theme of the march and what uh, gave a little bit of a history on what the march is and why it was started. And the current president of the March for Life, um, there's only been two, uh, the lady who started it, uh, Miss Nellie Gray, and then the current president, Jeannie Mancini. Um, Which is so just a great her. name, by the way. Jeannie I know, Mancini. right? Right. Uh, so we had her on our podcast. Um, so she tweeted out the podcast, but then she actually tweeted out the the article as well. So we were really encouraged to see her and the March for Life um, share and promote the work we're doing. And, and we're so grateful to partner with them. So yeah. encouraging. That's awesome. And so, you know, one of the real focal points of the the rally, the pre-March rally that took place was the fact that President Trump spoke there. We talked about that last week on the podcast. Uh, and I know a lot of people leading up to it were either skeptical. I mean, many people were looking forward to it, but just curious about what he was going to say. And there was just one line from his address that really has stuck with me. He said, every child is a precious and sacred gift from God. Together, we must protect, cherish, and defend the dignity and the sanctity of every human life. That is 
striking to me, to hear the president of the United States articulate something that, that every Christian would agree with, that our dignity comes from God, because we believe as Christians that every person is made in the image of God. I mean, that's the foundation of our pro-life ethic. And as we're talking about trying to, to form and, and see uh, Christians take on this whole life pro-life vision or ethic, we I'm just so encouraged to see that that is what is articulated. And so, you know, as President Trump spoke at the march, hopefully, you know, that sets a a new precedent, a new standard. We want to see presidents feel compelled to address not just the March for Life, but to speak to pro-life issues and to unapologetically defend and stand up for the dignity of every human life. And so uh, one of the things that comes out of the march is just this encouragement that there is a lot of progress happening in the pro-life movement. There's a lot of good things going on. Uh, I saw a piece uh, at National Review just kind of reflecting on the last decade of the pro-life movement, and there have been over 400 pro-life laws that were passed at the state level in the past decade. And that piece also uh, pointed out something that, you know, elections have consequences. We see uh, what it means. And so, you know, there was a lot of conversation online this week about whether or not the pro-life movement and pro-life efforts are political efforts. The truth is that what we always want to say is that our efforts in the pro-life movement are about more than politics and that they should transcend politics, but they're never about less than that. And so one of the things that is is striking to me, even as we're looking at this upcoming election, which we're going to talk about more in a second, is that the fact that every 2020 Democratic candidate right now who's who's contending for their nomination for president opposes the Hyde Amendment, which limits uh, the ability of federal government to use taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions. That's something that I think Christians should be concerned about. Mm-hmm. I think that's not to say necessarily that a Christian has to hold one position or another or belong to one party or another party, but it says that Christians and those who hold to pro-life values should feel compelled to put pressure on any political candidate who opposes the dignity of, of every human being. That's right, Josh. And as you mentioned, that Christians should be encouraged about the progress in the pro-life movement. Thinking back to 1973, Roe versus Wade, who would have thought that this is— where we would be. We didn't know a pro-life movement would start and how big it would get. And so it's very encouraging. And then as you mentioned, Brent, being overseas, which uh, we'll talk about more in the coming weeks and months in in Northern Ireland and what's happening there with abortion laws and the political culture and and, uh, who knows what's going to start there in Northern Ireland and how God might be glorified and people standing for life. So we should be encouraged, even though we see hard things happening, we should be encouraged that the Lord is going to make sure that his word goes forward and that life is going to be stood for. That's right. One of the other big flashpoints in the culture this week was just the fact that the Grammys took place. So, Lindsay, you're going to give us a highlight of of what happened at the Grammys. I will. And this is talk about switching gears, switching to major gears. So, I have to admit that I had to do some a little bit of research because I did not watch the Grammys because the Grammys are just not what they used to be. I used to own Grammy highlight CDs back in the 90s wow. and the 2000s. I mean, Mariah Carey, when Mariah Carey was there when her music was good. Sorry. Yeah. You know what, that's, that's actually hardly surprising that that's, that's a thing <laughs> yeah. that you owned. I mean, Celine Dion. So I used to watch the Grammys, but they're not what they used to be. But that's just in this this granny's opinion, I guess. But anyway, so the, the Grammys, right before they aired and before they were hosted, there was a controversy where the CEO was ousted and there were allegations not of her, but she was ousted for, I think, bullying or something like that, maybe abuse of power. And then she came back with allegations of sexual abuse. 
uh, within leadership and then vote rigging. So the Grammys were— Lots of drama at the Grammys. Lots of drama, which is not surprising, and it's terrible. I hope that there was not sexual abuse, but but there were lots of stuff happening. But anyway, we went ahead with the Grammys, and then the Grammys were hosted in the Staples Center, which is the home of the Lakers, and, and the news of Kobe Bryant broke right before that. So they obviously gave tribute to him. So Boys to Men, who were also on those Grammy CDs. I loved Boys to Men. Uh, Boys to Men and Alicia Keys uh, gave tribute. And then um, I, I think some other people did. I can't remember. But Billie Eilish was a big winner at the Grammys. I think I've listened to like two minutes of her music. Have and you ever listened to her, Josh? I sampled it after hearing that she won all of these awards. And I... I get some people are impressed. It's just not yeah. for me so much, but I, you know. Chelsea, have you listened to her? I've not. I've not. Yeah, I <laughs> maybe so, I should after this. Well, what's notable is that she's 18 and she was this big wow. winner. Also, she has a crazy style. Like she was her hair's green and black or something like that. Anyway, big winner. Demi Lovato was back uh, for performing for the first time after her overdose in 2018. So, it seems like she's come a long way and uh so she had to stop in the middle, was crying, and got a standing ovation, I believe. And then just one little thing. My husband's brother was over. He's a musician. So he was talking about how the he saw this clip, the Jonas Brothers performed, and how they were on auto-tune, but somebody had set the auto-tune key or something higher. So if you listen to the Jonas Brothers, you can look it up on YouTube. Whoever's singing, um, there's this weird note in the middle of the song, and that's because the auto-tune was set incorrectly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So anyway, so that just is a little window in behind what's going on at the Grammys. So we spent too much time on the Grammys rundown, but that's what was happening. Okay. Well, hey, let's talk about something else. Uh, one of the major things that people are paying attention to right now is just impeachment. And so here's an impeachment update for you. As we're recording this, both sides have completed their opening arguments. And now we are heading into two days of Q&A. If you have uh, seen any of this, some of it is, uh, frankly, there's a comedic element to it because Chief Justice John Roberts, as he's presiding over this phase of the impeachment process, is literally fielding questions that are written on note cards that he has to read out loud uh, because the senators are not allowed to ask those questions themselves. And so he is reading and reviewing and saying this. It is. It looks like you're taking the world's greatest deliberative body and putting them in very much like a, a third grade classroom setting. It's it's pretty interesting. But so now they're heading into this uh, two-day Q&A session where they can ask questions and either, you know, the person asked the question gets to answer the question, but the other side doesn't necessarily get to respond. The big question that's still lingering out there is, are there going to be witnesses, uh, additional witnesses called at this part, uh, specifically John Bolton, after some uh, his manuscript from his forthcoming book was leaked over the weekend. And then none of that stuff is, is clear at this moment, but it'll be interesting to see the trial though. I mean, this phase of the impeachment process could wrap up as early as this weekend. And so it's something to keep your eye on. But as far as the ultimate result, it's basically a, a foregone conclusion that he, that President Trump is going to be acquitted uh, by the Senate. The question is, how much longer is this process going to draw out? Why is that a foregone conclusion? Well, there's just not enough, uh, based on all of the evidence that's out there, there's not enough Republicans who have signaled any willingness to, or any at all that they are convinced by anything that they've seen that it merits removal from office. What does the vote have to be? So it it takes I, I think it takes two thirds of of the Senate. So there's just there's just no chance that the numbers would go that high if there are any Republican defections at all. Right. Well, 
the impeachment is very serious. I don't want to make light of it. I do want to mention John Bolton has an epic mustache. He does. He's uh, so I was listening to uh, David Axelrod talk. David Axelrod said that famously that John Bolton is uh, you know holding it down for all of those former walrus mustache wearers. So if you don't take anything else away from this, you can remember that you know there's really only two men in the world, I guess, that can get away with mustaches: Tom Selleck. That's right. And then I guess John Bolton just because it's so epic. Well, it is it is epic. I mean, it is iconic. So uh, staying with the theme of politics for a second, you know what's coming up Monday, Lindsay? I only know because you've mentioned Iowa caucuses. The Iowa caucuses. And so uh, that's a big deal. I mean, this is like really, as Brent kind of talked about last time, this is like the first official thing where we have real results and we can see what voters are actually thinking about this Democratic primary process. And so I uh, just want to give a shout out to my brother who works up on the Hill. He actually sent me this thing that the Wall Street Journal has a visual guide that can walk you through so that you can see what a caucus looks like. Because most people, let's be honest, most people have no idea. Uh, because most states don't have caucuses. They just have primaries where you go in and you vote the way you always vote. But in these caucuses, it's really interesting. They're normally held in like high school gyms or churches or, you know, civic buildings. And people come in and literally there are basically surrogates for all of the campaigns uh, there. And you just go and gather in this room and literally, you know, it's again, like high school gym, you go and stand with your crew, whoever that is. And so the Iowa caucuses are Monday night and we are watching the top five and to see how things turn out. Right now, um, according to Nate Silver at 538, and you can find a link to this in the show notes, he, he puts Bernie Sanders at 37% of walking away with the win in Iowa, Joe Biden at 35%. But we're really watching the top five to see what happens. And that's Joe, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Pete Buttigieg, Elizabeth Warren, and Amy Klobuchar. And so we've got some helpful links in the show notes for you if you want to learn more about the Iowa caucuses. But real quick, what is a caucus? Like, what does that mean? The caucus Vote? is like, it's the event. You know, it's a thing oh. they go and do. So they're going to caucus. But I don't ever say I'm going to caucus, like where it's an event. I don't get this. Well, it's not a it's not a word that we use regularly, but there are I was not the only state that caucuses. Uh also Nevada does the same thing. Okay. So more to come. Yes, ma'am. I, so my husband and I just finished watching The West Wing and there are at least there's one or two episodes um of the Iowa caucuses. And it's so interesting. I mean, obviously it's a TV series, but really interesting to see for people that have never been or aren't from Iowa. Um, so yeah. I would to watch that, recommend. to find out. Well, you know, my hot take last week was that West Wing was kind of boring, but maybe <gasps> I, so I know. shameful. That's a hot take. I know it is a hot take. Well, here's one more hot take for you. Uh, we heard around uh, the ERLC offices this week, somebody speculated that whoever, uh, whichever Democrat emerges as the winner of the Iowa caucuses is likely to em- ultimately become the Democratic nominee. No idea if that's correct, but pay attention and we'll see what happens. So to to keep us moving, so some tragic news that we are paying attention to this week is that uh, there was a pastor in Nigeria. His name was uh, he, Reverend Lawan Ndemi. Uh, he was abducted by Boko Haram, which is a militant Islamic group there in Nigeria. And they released a few weeks ago a hostage video of him, which he used to testify about his faith and hope in Jesus. He he pled with the government there in Nigeria to uh, do all they could to secure his release. But he said on the video, if I'm not released, if that's not God's will, he testified to his faith in Jesus and that his hope was secure. Well, CT uh, broke the story, um, I think on January 21st, that this pastor was executed by these, by this terrorist group. And 
as I was reading about this story and just filled with just grief and, and emotion over this, to remember that as Christians, we stand in a long line of martyrs, of people who have suffered deeply uh, because of their faith in Jesus. And so just in my own Bible reading, I happen to be reading through the book of Hebrews right now, and I was reading through Hebrews 11 just the other day, and it was talking about martyrs and those who have suffered uh, on behalf of the faith, because of their faith in Jesus. And Hebrews eleven thirty eight says that the world was not worthy of them. And so when I think about this pastor and we grieve his loss and, and even pray that further violence like this would be stopped, that it wouldn't take place, we, we remember that those who have given their lives uh, in service to Jesus, that the world is not worthy of them. And that, Absolutely. And, and that their hope is resurrection. Right. And and as you're mentioning Hebrews, you know, Hebrews tells us to remember those who are in prison, that it's sometimes it's sadly easy to be out of sight, out of mind. But in our connected age, we, of all people, don't have an excuse. We need to remember our brothers and sisters, stand with them, pray for them. It reminds me of the book Insanity of God. Yeah. And just the amazing testimony of believers across the world who are trusting the Lord, expecting persecution. We try to avoid it here right. in America, but they're expecting it. The Lord is faithful, and it's important to remember that we grieve, but as those who have hope, because this pastor is more alive than he's ever been right now, and it will only be a short while before we're joined with him. And that's that's the beautiful truth that we cling to as Christians. So we've got some links for you, again, in the show notes that you can read more about this. And one of the things, stay, staying with the theme of faith, uh, another thing that caught my eye this week is that, uh, you know, last week on the podcast, Lindsay talked about the Read Scripture app. And so recently, as I was just scrolling through social media, I saw a tweet from uh, Kirk Cousins, who is a quarterback for the Vikings. He was just in the, the Pro Bowl, and he was the quarterback for the NFC. He tweeted a picture of his Bible. And the, the quote with the picture was, it took me over two years, but I just finished reading through the entire Bible for the first time. Definitely recommend it. And I was so struck by that because we talked about how personal Bible reading is a thing that can absolutely change your life, change your walk with God, and change the way that you uh, experience and live your life as a Christian. And so I just want to commend that to you. And as I was thinking about that, I also saw an article that talked about Aaron Rodgers, who's a quarterback for the Green Bay Packers, and it was about him losing his faith. And so, you know, he grew up as a part of young life. And so he was uh, mentored and discipled in the, in the ways of Jesus, but at some point departed from that. And as I was reading that, I was just thought about the fact that probably for a lot of you listening, it can be devastating. It's devastating for me to watch people that you respect and people that you've looked up to in the faith. If they should walk away from the faith, it can be really, really difficult to process personally. And it can make you ask some really deep questions. One of the things I was asked, having this conversation with a friend uh, yesterday, and one of the things they said was, in those moments, cling to Jesus. And remember that Jesus is the one who never fails. He never turns away. He never lets us down. And so even in the midst of, of seeing something that, that is uh, really difficult to process or deal with, cling to Jesus. Well, and as you mentioned, Aaron Rodgers just highlights to me the importance of um, staying in the Word, absolutely, staying in fellowship with a, a church, a right. local church, that sound that um, takes the study of God's Word seriously, but also that we can't put anyone on a pedestal. Celebrities these days, especially Christian celebrities, it's easy for us to elevate them and to mm -hmm. want to thrust them into the spotlight and put them as our standard bearer. But regardless, I think of Jesus as not entrusting himself to man because he knew what was in man, that we can't—we can respect people, 
but we cannot put our hope in them because they'll let us down. That's exactly right. We're all sinners. One more thing. If you missed this, okay, so Mike Bloomberg, he's, you know, a billionaire. He's the former mayor of New York City. He's a contender for the Democratic nomination, although he jumped in late, so he's not even a factor in Iowa or New Hampshire, which are the next two uh, contests coming up. But if you haven't seen this, and if you don't care about politics at all, it's okay. You need to watch this video because there is a video out there that's floating around on the internet of Mike Bloomberg meeting what I'm just going to say is it must be meeting a dog for the very first time because he he's you know standing there talking to clearly this dog's owner and then he goes it to It looked pet- like he tried to shake the dog's that, mouth. That's right. Like like, you know, he's trying. I guess he doesn't know like, oh, you just pet the dog, you know, or, or whatever. But he just, you know, grabs the dog by the mouth and just shakes it up and down like he was shaking hands with a person. Yeah, by the top of his mouth. So uh, he should be glad he didn't get bit. Yes. So uh, I've referenced the show notes several times, but that link is there. And if you haven't seen it, you could find it there. I've watched it multiple times it, for the be, record. It's <laughs> worth it. It's hilarious. Okay, so now we're going to transition and just talk to Chelsea. Like on every episode, we have a special guest where we go through uh, five questions with them just to find out about who they are and how they're how they're serving Christ right now. And so, Chelsea, uh, why don't you just go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're doing in ministry right now? Absolutely. So I, um, like you mentioned earlier, I'm a policy director at the ERLC, which just means, um, so our headquarters is in Nashville where you guys are, but I'm in our D.C. office. But I've also written a book um, called Longing for Motherhood, where I share my personal story of not being able to have children and what the Lord has taught me through that. I'm also a wife. Um, I married uh, my husband, Michael, over two years ago now, and we um, are just really enjoying our life uh, here in D.C. where the Lord has uh, planted us. But as far as what I'm doing in ministry right now, uh, Michael and I are helping out with the church plant. Um, And then I serve in D.C. um, foster care kiddos through a program called CASA, which is short for Court Appointed Special Advocate. So I am an officiant of the court, and I have been matched with um, I have three three children, they're siblings. Um, they're in foster care, and my job is to get to know them and then um, spend time with them and then go to court and advocate on their behalf. Um, you know, everyone in the courtroom is advocating for um, different people, and the kids don't have their own advocate, so I get to be the advocate for them and you know, be the hands and feet of Christ to them. So those are just a couple things outside of my professional work that I'm I'm doing. Chelsea, I love the ministries that you are involved in. So spiritually, tell us one thing that God is teaching you in this season of life and ministry. Uh, so I am learning the importance of rest and Sabbath and learning my limits that I can't push myself Um, I'm a three on the Enneagram, which means I would not stop working ever if I had the choice. But over the past year, um, the Lord has taught me the importance of Sabbath, that it is a commandment from the Lord and with it brings such deep and rich blessings. And so I've really put some boundaries in my life, some daily boundaries, especially around technology. Um, And then I am trying to be extremely obedient in taking a day off, not to work, not to do chores, um, but to just delight in God and in his presence. And it has been so life-giving and such a joy. 
You know, that is that's such a good point because we talk about all the time how we live in this hyper-connected age where everything is frantic and frenetic. And so just the importance as a Christian of rest and Sabbath, those are things that we often tend to neglect or overlook. And uh, that you can even see that in the spirit of like the next question, which is about work. So uh, you work in our DC office. Tell us what you guys are working on right now. What are the things that you're paying attention to? Absolutely. So our role here in the DC office is we do a lot of advocacy. So we will uh, go up to the Hill, to Capitol Hill, um, and advocate for good policy or against bad policy. And then we do the same with uh, the administration as well. In January, uh, we had the March for Life. And on our podcast, we did a whole series on human dignity. And there is always a pro-life legislation that we are working on and working to advance and working to shape the hearts and minds of policymakers and their staff. So there is a lot of work to be done, but it's uh, such a joy to get to do it. We're thankful that y'all are there, our DC team, they are doing that hard work. And I look forward to that uh, legislative agenda every year when it comes out. It helps me to understand what you're doing and our listeners can be paying attention at ERLC.com keep looking back there to find that. Chelsea, earlier you mentioned your book, Longing for Motherhood. So will you tell us, you told us a little bit, but will you tell us a little bit of your story and give us a summary of your book? Absolutely. So my story is a little bit different. Uh, Most people find out uh, within the context of marriage that they either struggle with infertility or experience uh, miscarriages. But I was actually um, a teenager when I found out that I was born with a somewhat rare medical condition that would prevent me from ever having children. Uh, I was a freshman at college, and as you can imagine, receiving that news at any point of your life is is extremely difficult, but especially as a teenager, it was just extremely difficult. And I had grown up as a Christian and had just a pretty easy life, honestly, up until then. And this was my first experience with real personal suffering. And so I really, really wrestled with the Lord and uh, in many ways felt alone because I looked at the bookshelves um, and didn't see any books that that helped me. Um, there were a lot of books on suffering I have read, and um, there's some excellent books out there, but I didn't find any books that talk to my situation. So um, I've loved writing for as long as I can remember. And while I was in the heat of that wrestling, um, it's been 10 years, so the Lord has done a lot of healing in my heart um, since the heat of that trial. But at the back of my mind, I always thought there needs to be a resource out there for people struggling with childlessness. And there's, you know, some resources on infertility or miscarriage, but the umbrella of childlessness is is quite big. Um, it fits people like me uh, who just can't have children, uh, certainly miscarriage and infertility, but also uh, birth moms who have chosen um, adoption for their children and are childless by by that. Um, also women who have chosen um, abortion and are childless um, or single women who desire to be mothers but are single. So it, it really casts a wide net to all different kinds of childlessness. And I share um, just lessons I learned um, with the Lord through that. And I share some stories um, of of friends who have walked through uh, similar trials and uh, ultimately share hope and how 
people walking that journey can find hope in God's presence and in God's promises. Well, it's a great book, and it's one that I'm happy to commend. Uh, I got to read a copy of it in pre-publication, and as an adopted father, adoptive father, and as a husband uh, in in a family that struggled for a long time with infertility, I can say that it is just a really, really helpful book. So thank you for taking the time to to write it and putting all of the effort into it, and just just to bear, you know sharing those things from your own experience. So one more question for you. Uh, it seems like everyone in DC is working around the clock and that it's fast paced and never stops. So we just want to hear like, what, what are some of the fun things that you guys do in DC uh, to have fun and to relax? I love this question. The first thing that came to mind was uh, eating. <laughs> There's <laughs> yeah, so many good, good restaurants here. And uh, my husband and I have uh, a line item in our budget to go out and just try um, a lot of the good restaurants. There's uh, That's one of my favorite hobbies in general, eating. Me um, too, Chelsea. Yes, yes. It's an ERLC pastime. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Southern Baptist for you. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and then another thing that um, I love to do, and I know multiple people in our DC office um, enjoy doing, is just exploring the city. Um, I really enjoy running outside. I hate the treadmill, but love to jog outside and just jog to the Capitol or jog down the National Mall. And it's just a wonderful way to explore the city. So um, I love to get outside. It's too cold for me right now, but um, when it warms up, I really love to leave my phone at home and disconnect and just go outside and enjoy and explore uh, the city. I don't think I've ever put jogging and wonderful into the same sentence, Jesse. <laughs> but, but I'm encouraged that you do. Well, there's a, there's quite a few runners at the ERLC, uh, Chelsea being one of them. Uh, Patrick, who has was on staff with us for a long time, he just signed up for, what is it, a 60K? Chelsea, is that right? Yes, which is insane it's, to me. That is crazy. <laughs> yeah. You so- can, you. Yeah, you're just not right. He's, he's going to run in a day what I'm going to run this year. But you know what? It's, me too. There me you too. go. <laughs> So one of the greatest things about working at the ERLC are just the conversations that we get to share every week with one another. And so Chelsea, it's been cool to have you on the podcast today because we've been able to be in touch with a part of our team that we don't get to see every day and sit down with. But the conversations that we share that we always enjoy so frequently for us happen in the lunchroom where we come together with the things that are on our minds and the things we're paying attention to in the culture. And so uh, right now we're just gonna take a second and run through those things. So Lindsay, what are you bringing to the table? Okay, so actually two quick things. We've already talked about this, but I cannot get it off my mind this week, Kobe Bryant, the Mm. tragedy there. It's not necessarily because of Kobe Bryant, because I truthfully am not a huge basketball fan and not a huge NBA fan. I'll watch it. But it's just the nature of the tragedy, the reminder that life is so brief, the children involved. And I've just been watching all the interviews. I can go down a rabbit trail. If you remember that Air France tragedy years ago, I read all the articles about it. So I watched Shaquille O'Neal and uh, I didn't watch Charles Barkley, but talk about it and just they are undone. I've watched an uh, interview with one of the other husbands of one of the victims. Uh, so the night that the tragedy happened, I just went into my little girl's room and just watched her sleep and breathe and yeah. just reminded that, you know what, all these things um, that sometimes we get hung up on in life just don't matter. It's it's seeking to know the Lord and making Him known and living in our community well. So, and then the other thing is Tim Keller's book on prayer. I've been making my way through, started in small group a long time ago. And um, just the last portion of it I've been thinking about, it kind of gives a 
lays out some practical ways to put prayer into practice. And I kind of rolled my eyes at that at first, but it's very helpful, especially in a season where I'm having a hard time just sitting down to have time in prayer. Uh, So that's been really encouraging to me. Yeah, I've read that book and it's actually, I mean, it really is fantastic and it will shape and change the way that you approach prayer as a Christian. Chelsea, you got anything this week? I do. Um, So I have talked about this so much. So uh, y'all are probably sick of this, but um, that is an alarm clock. So I mentioned earlier, I have been learning uh, rest and boundaries, and I bought an old school alarm clock, and I sleep with my phone in the other room. Um, I put my phone to bed at night uh, before I go, um, usually around 8, 30, 9 o'clock, and then wake up to an alarm clock and don't check my phone until I have um, spent time with the Lord. And it has made such a difference in my life. So that's that's something I feel like I can't stop talking about. And I highly encourage everyone to buy an alarm clock. You know, it, it feels so old fashioned to say that, but it has to be such a helpful discipline. As a person who uh, checks my phone way too early in the day and keeps it in my hand until way too late at night, uh, it's something that I'm trying to convince myself to take on as a practice. You should. You should. So my thing this week is about libraries. Imagine that. So, you know, one of the things we talk about at the RLC all the time, we're just big readers. We love books. So I just couldn't pass this by. I saw this stat. I think actually Philip, who's on our staff, shared this on Twitter. Uh, he's but it's about libraries. And so here's here's a quote. It says, visiting the, visiting the library remains the most common cultural activity America's Americans engage in by far, which frankly, was just shocking to me. It says, the average 10 and a half trips to the library U.S. adults report taking in 2019 exceeds their participation in eight other common leisure activities. And one of those activities was going to the movies. And so I was just floored because, frankly, I don't, I didn't expect that it would be the case that most people still make trips to the libraries, much less more than 10 trips to the library. And so... I was really encouraged by that because I think that, you know, as, as a reader, I think books and, and reading changes your life. And so, you know, from last night, I was sitting on the couch with my six-year-old reading through what was for him the longest book he'd ever read, which is like a 33-page book with like three lines on every page. Uh, but reading changes people's lives. And so anyway, I was just really, I thought that was a really cool stat. And it's really encouraging to, to see people spending time reading books. Yeah, some of my greatest memories are going to the library as a kid and then bringing home a stack of books. It was so exciting. I can't wait to do that with my daughter, although I'm married to a germaphobe who thinks library books are gross. <laughs> Maybe you just get to get new books, you know? You I know. I try to tell them that the, the germs don't last on the books that long. Like, that's not how that works. So, but anyway. Well, we want to close every episode with just a link uh, or a preview of one of our ERLC resources. And so, Lindsay, uh, every week takes time to choose this. Lindsay, what are we looking at this week? Okay, so in light of talking about uh, the Kobe Bryant tragedy and the other mothers and fathers and daughters who were lost on that flight, uh, we're going to look at uh, a resource by Crawford Loritz from one of our national conferences. It's called Never Walk Away, Lessons on Integrity from a Father Who Lived It. And this clip is going to highlight the importance of integrity in raising children. Crawford is such a faithful pastor and a faithful father who has raised uh, sons who are in ministry, who love Christ, who are leading churches. Well, we really hope that you enjoy that clip. And we are really grateful for Chelsea joining us through the whole episode today. So Chelsea, thanks for hanging in there with us and and contributing uh, and for answering all of our questions. Josh and Lindsay, thank you guys so much for having me. So just as a reminder, you can find links to all the things we talked about in our show notes today. And if you like the podcast, please consider helping us spread the word by sharing the episode on social media. You can go into your podcast app and leave us a rating or review. And as always, we'll be back next week with more content. 
But on balance, he never made a promise that he didn't keep. His word was his bond. He was, uh, he was a little bit paranoid about showing up. In fact, I couldn't even quit a part-time job that I had as a teenager. Uh, I better have a good, a good excuse for that because he said, if you told that man you're going to show up, you show up. And we've kind of raised our kids the same way, especially our boys when they were playing sports. My rule around the household, if you play, you stay. You don't quit because it's hard. You don't quit because it's difficult. You don't quit because there's a little bit of opposition. You don't quit because you don't like the situation. You show up. You finish the endurance ride. And one of my abiding concerns about some of us in this generation right now is that we won't stick around long enough to get what we need in order for us to get what we want. And sometimes what we need is to finish that endurance ride. And integrity, integrity is refined and built in the crucible of suffering and adversity. Integrity cannot be strengthened unless there's opposition. Because integrity is lodged in who you really are and what you really, really believe. The essence of parenting is to be a portrait of the desired destination. The essence of parenting is not necessarily great insights and tools. The truth of the matter is that the power and the authority that we have to shape the next generation is lodged in what we model and what they see in front of us and not necessarily what we say. In fact, that's what the Bible's all about. The Bible's into prophetic leadership. And that is that if you're going to lead anything in the scripture, and this is the reason why character is so terribly important, if you're going to lead anything in the scripture, it's not about your ability to plan and to have insights and to line things up and to recruit and to develop the resources and to think outside the box and all of these things that we celebrate today. But if you're going to lead anything in the Bible, anything that has God's name over it, anything that stewards what God wants to do from one generation to the next, then you have to embrace the reality that you've got to be the portrait of the desired destination. 